Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Who I Became podcast. And for those of you that are new here, my name is Simon Osimo, and you can join me for weekly conversations with some really interesting people as I explore their personal stories, transformations, and experiences that help educate, inform, and inspire. On today's episode, I'm joined by Kevin Haggerty, who describes himself as a patriot, single dad, entrepreneur, teacher, and pastor at a church in Florida. Now, after battling addiction in his late teens, Kevin went on to become a successful entrepreneur running his own business, but found his financial success gave him more problems. He looked around one day and realised that he'd let money become his master and he had few real friends in his life. Since that day, Kevin has transformed his life and he's now one of the pastors at a church in Florida and has many life lessons that he's about to share with us on his road to recovery and discovering his purpose. But before we dive into this week's content, I want to remind you that you can listen to the podcast wherever you consume your content and the video can be found on our YouTube channel at Simon Osimo. Now, if you get something from this conversation or believe that others will, it would mean the world to me if you would like and share with your circle of influence. Okay, so let's dive straight into this week's conversation with Kevin Haggerty. Welcome to the Who I Became podcast. Well, I'm pleased today to be joined with Pastor Kevin Haggerty. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing well, buddy. How are you? It's good to see I'm, you. I'm very well. I always say that you're the pastors that I, that I love because you have this real life experience that we're going to get into. Okay. Okay. Glad to do it. Yeah. But there's some pastors that I come across that have like, you know, boats and, and nice cars uh, and, you know, you sort of see them in, the, in the, the nice suits and maybe it's just how I internally process it. But I'm often thinking, you know, someone like you, Kevin, we'll get into with the adversity that you faced and the challenge you've had to overcome. You know, you, you're just a real, you're just a real pastor. Maybe I'll just talk a bit about some of the things that, that you do. So, you know, you're the pastor at Next Level Church in Tampa Bay, Florida. So it's most probably 95 degrees down there and humid. <laughs> That's terrible. I, yeah. I should say I'm one of the pastors here. We have three speaking pastors here. Yeah, uh, hopefully, hopefully your air condition's working down there, Kevin. Yeah, not well, but well enough. <laughs> well enough. It's nice in the studio, at least. I should sleep out here. Oh, there you go. I know you know you preach the gospel in prisons within Florida, and I, I know you haven't been doing that as much in recent years. But we'll talk about the God Logic project in, in a moment, and that's that tends to be a sort of bigger outreach for you these days. But you know, you're the founder of God Logic Project. You know, you run a successful podcast, which is on you know YouTube and Facebook and all the main outlets, which focuses on you know addiction, recovery politics. I think you like to say there's there's no subject um, that you won't touch, Kevin. Is that right? Yeah, I think that uh, the kind of the point of the God Logic Project is uh, is to break the intellectual bubble. So people that don't agree with me are just as welcome to be on the show as people who do agree with me. Uh, so the we've got to be very careful. We've fallen into the pattern of uh, people say on the left only talk to people on the left, and people on the right only talk to people on the right. So their ideas sound brilliant because everybody's in agreement, right? There's no challenge to your thought. Uh, here, hopefully, everybody gets a seat at the table, and every thought is challenged. Yeah, that's very true. 
Very true. And um, you know, one of the things that, uh, you know, we're just talking about this off air is that, you know, you actually quit alcohol, uh, you know, um, you're an addict at 21, you know, mm-hmm. you've sort of been in recovery ever since. And I'm saying to you that in today's world, 21 seems to be sort of <laughs> quite young, but, you know, uh, addictions have changed during that time. There's a lot more chemical dependency and stuff now than, yeah. than of your generation when it was real alcoholism. And we'll get into it a bit later, so, you know, when did you realise you were an alcoholic? And I know that at uh, 37, there was a suicide attempt which really changed the trajectory of your your life and that's what really pushed you into now now ministry which led you to be one of the free pastors at your church so so welcome to the show kevin Oh, thank you that's uh that's pretty much my like my life in a nutshell what you just uh said that's well, you know, much how I, it lays out well i got your life in four or five bullet points so that's always a good way <laughs> any more than that people don't necessarily start believing it it's like no this person's <laughs> done, done, done too much but i guess you know one of the things i'll say kevin is i don't know um you know i stumbled across your your podcast online uh, and i know we've got a we've got a mutual friend in jim howard down in florida but you know good i stumbled guy. across it a uh, great guy great guy and um actually he's been on the show he's um i, uh, I just got off the phone with him a little while ago oh there you go there yeah you go. he's doing well um you know and i stumbled across you and I was really, I was, it was just, I don't know what I, what I can say. I was just, you know, I couldn't put your um, podcast down. I must have watched three or four episodes back to back. You know, in my wife's family has been a lot of uh, addiction, a lot of chemical dependency, and it, and it really struck a chord uh, with, with me. And I love your compassion and your, your heart in it. Um, and so one thing I say is, you know, when you realize that you're an alcoholic at 21, um, I guess my question is, at what point did it start where your drinking got out of control? Well, the uh, I had I, I started very very early, and I started getting in trouble very early. But the uh, back in those days, you're talking about the '80s, the late '70s, early '80s. It was more of a uh, like the nuns told my parents. I went to Catholic school, and the nuns told my parents I wasn't smart enough to go to college. You know, so what what was a behavior problem or an attention deficit problem, maybe. Uh, uh, was interpreted back in those days as just not being a, you know, a very bright kid. So, uh, uh, and my parents being Irish Catholic, uh, took, took their word as gospel. So, uh, I know that, uh, I can tell you that when I was 16 years old, I, I had the choice of, of going to a place called Daytop village, which is like boys town in New York city. Uh, or I can go to AA for, uh, I can go to a 12 step program for one week. And, uh, and so that was an easy choice, right? I'm going to go to, I'll go to no meetings brainer. and eat cake and drink coffee for a week. Yeah. And, uh, and they picked me up at the house and dropped me off too. So it was, it was an easy choice to make because the alter, the alternative was to shave my head and rake leaves till they feel like I'm re- rehabilitated. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I did that and I can tell you at 16, I could really relate to grown men, 40, 50 year old men, even older, uh, that had a lot of the same problems I had. So I had a lot of, I had a lot of adult problems as a kid. You might say smoking, drinking, gambling, uh, fighting, drinking and drugging. Stealing. I think you said before. I love it when you say that drinking yeah. and drugging. Yeah, drinking and drugging. It's uh, uh, two of the four horses of my apocalypse as we'll uncover <laughs> uh, are going to be uh, drugs and alcohol. <laughs> And, and so I guess, you know, so that's just sort of um, the story. But then maybe talk about the, the post-addiction very quickly because I don't know, is it that – I haven't found it that common where someone even at 21 can just say, okay, I'm done done with drinking and then move on. And at that point, like you say, you were raised in New York. When you stopped drinking, you moved down to, to Florida. Um, at that point, at 21 years old, uh, what allowed you to just say, okay, that's it, 
know more from today? Well, it was, I could tell you that I, I had gone AA uh, at 16. So by 21, uh, I had had enough. I knew for th- those five years were absolutely terrible. The last two of those five years, uh, I wanted to die every day. I was disappointed that I woke up. I mean, I don't have to shave yet, by the way. And I'd rather be dead than alive. So I'm spiritually dead, we would say in, in ministry. Yeah. So uh, uh, it was not a hard, like it wasn't a secret in my neighborhood or in my family what I was. Uh, it, it To me, it just didn't seem like guys like me live very long anyway. Why worry about it? Uh, the streets or the, or the booze and drugs are going to get me one way or another. Uh, and I wanted to die. So uh, uh, January 25th, 1989, I, I went on a little... I went out to lunch with my buddy, Eddie, uh, and I said, I'm not going to drink. Uh, so we went to a bar for lunch and, uh, I got, I thought if I just have tap beer and a hamburger, nothing's going to go wrong. And, uh, literally that's the last thing I remember. Uh, and that was the last day I drank and, and things went horribly bad for about 24 hours. It was terrible. Yeah. Well, and I want to pick up on something that you said on there, and, and maybe um, you didn't say it in a flippant way because I know you was just how how your life has gone, but you just said I wanted to die anyway, and then you very quickly moved on. Uh, so, do you mind if we just come back and unpack that a little bit? You know, so you're, you're a young man, you know, and what was your upbringing like? What why was why was life so bad? Sort of maybe in your mental um, health that you were sort of thinking then, but you know my life is going to end by drink, by drugs, or by some other type of violence. Yeah, some what type of violence. On? Well, the I came from a good family, by the way. I, I, I went out of my way to get in trouble, if that makes sense. Uh, now, was I kind of the black sheep of the family? Certainly, I, I, I have four brothers and sisters, all who did very well in life. My, my dad used to say, I have four good kids and Kevin. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I, was, uh, uh, I was impressed with kind of the neighborhood bad guy lifestyle. Uh, I got, I went out of my way to hang out with those guys. So, uh, and I, I, you know, I made the choices I made, even though I was a kid, I have to own those choices. Uh, so I had every opportunity. I went to what was essentially an Ivy league high school, uh, in, in New York city. And, uh, uh, I was, got kicked out after two years and, uh, uh, but I had every opera, every possible opportunity I could have had or anybody would want to have. Uh, but, I mean, I just didn't take advantage of it. What I wanted to do was go a thousand miles an hour and be popular and be cool and have money. Uh, and, and we had money and, uh, I was from a poor family in a nice neighborhood. And, uh, so the fact that we had no money really stuck out, we were Irish in an Italian neighborhood that really stuck out, you know? So, uh, uh, I think what drove me more than anything was, ego, right? I wanted to have money. I wanted to have status. I wanted people to like me. Uh, yeah. and, and that's what I got by being a bad guy. Well, I was going to mention, you know, you were later, the sort of suicide attempt occurred when you're, you know, around 37 and you're now a pastor, you know, sort of, you know, a pastor is really a counselor for other, other um, people. But do, do you look back at that time when you were so young thinking I might have had some mental illness as well? Or do you just think, you know, was it just brokenness that you just didn't really have a, I, I really don't care attitude? Or do you think there was some mental illness at the time that you were struggling to, to deal with? Well, experience even- told you. Even back then, it had there had to be some degree of, of mental uh, brokenness, right? So it, it it wasn't it was a spiritual problem, but it yeah. should have made it should have made intellectual sense to me, and it didn't. So, uh, but I can tell you that what I, if I lacked anything as a kid, I lacked structure. Um, both of my parents worked, so you know we kind of came and went as I came and went as I pleased, got to do what I want. Uh, 
and the uh, so by the time you know, fast forward 17 years, I'm 37 or 38 years old, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna kill myself uh, really for the second time, uh, and and it was uh, it was low self-esteem. In other words, it, I had, I had come to think so little of myself after the first 17, 18 years of my recovery, 17 years of my recovery. I didn't do the things that other people do to not just to quit drinking and drugging, but to become a better person. So you sober up a horse thief, you still got a horse thief, right? You know, you still got to stop stealing horses. Uh, I, I became a better person, but I really by no measure became a good person. So God saved me. I look at it this way. God saved me at 21. And I treated that gift, that second chance, like a croquet sweater from my grandmother. You know, I, I looked at it. I appreciate it. I folded it, put it in the closet and never touched yeah. it again. And then 17 years later, 17 and a half years later, sober, I'm going to kill myself over money. And so uh, that is clearly, uh, clearly my priority. Spiritually, we're way out of order. Yeah, and I can't remember. I know I wrote down the the, the quote from you, but it, it was really what you just said. Is that you know you um, you battled had, your you battled your addiction at twenty one, but you didn't get well. Right, I didn't get any better. So what I what I did was replace drugs and alcohol with my ability to make money. And I I've always been in construction, literally since I was thirteen years old, for the most part. Uh, which is against the law, so we won't mention who I work for. But well, you might have uh, been in New York back then, Kevin. Yeah, okay, <laughs> nothing was against the law back That's then. That's in New York, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but the uh, at this point, I had owned my own plumbing company, and I had, I mean, I, I had, I, I was making more money than I knew what to do with. I mean, four or five grand a week, and uh, uh, I had friends, and I had employees. I didn't, I mean, I had employees, and I had customers. But I, I'm halfway through my life, and I don't have a friend in the world. Right. Even uh, even uh, estranged from my wife, who I was still married to and living with, but we didn't really speak to each other uh, on a on a personal level at all. We were partners in raising kids, but uh, that's what our marriage had become. So uh, I had uh, uh, I had I'll tell you the story if you want me to. I was well, yeah, sitting because in- the quote that I put down was um, a god of money. You had many customers, but few friends. Uh, yeah, and that, yeah. really, that really struck me when we, we spoke. So, so maybe we talk about you building that business up. And then when you had that realization that you're in this big house, you've got all this money, but there's no one around there to share it with. Because again, these are those type of moments that we all have in life, searching for that belonging. And you, know, you had what a lot of people have uh, perceived that they wanted, but you had it and you were still still lonely by it. Yeah. So by earthly standards, certainly I was successful. I had a house. I owned my own company. I was making plenty of money. I had gotten hurt uh, and getting hurt, unfortunately, is a story of my life uh, three or four times, including now I'm fully disabled. Uh, but the uh, uh, I was hurt and I was I was I didn't have control over my business anymore. I could barely get out of the bed for months and uh, I'm losing everything and uh, I'm losing everything in an earthly sense. And uh, uh, I. I was, I can tell you the story at, at 1045 in the morning, I'm sitting on the end of my bed and I'm white as a sheet. And my eyes are bloodshot and I'm, I'm rubbing my hands like this in, in desperation and angst. I had pills in the, in the cabinet that I didn't take from my bad back because I'm a drug addict, right? So it would be stupid for me to take those, but I still had them. I, I decided sitting on that bed, I need to take them to calm my nerves a little bit because I'm, I'm really starting to get out of control, starting to get desperate. And, um, uh, uh, I went in the bathroom and I put a couple in my hand and, uh, and I'm like, uh, my kids are probably better off 
if I'm gone. I have money. I mean, I have insurance. They'll have money. They'll get a better father. Uh, I tried this world. I tried every, the way every other, everybody else lives, and I'm just not cut out for it. Obviously, with my story in life, I was never cut out for this world. Uh, I just was never fully successful in a sense. And uh, so I, I put all the pills, the whole jar in my hand, and I was just going to end it. And uh, nobody home, nothing there to stop me. And, uh, and I put them back in the jar, and I put them away. And by, 10, by 11.45, an hour later, I'm sitting on the end of the bed wringing my hands in joy, and I have no one to tell it to. I have no one to call. I have no one to talk to about it. In fact, I called my now ex-wife at work, and uh, I, I tried to tell her what God had just done for me, and I, I must have sounded crazy, of course, and uh, uh, I could hear her rolling her eyes over the phone. And uh, that night, I went to a 12-step meeting, and uh, I started going to meetings two or three times a day. I did the things that I, I never did. Uh, I, I got a sponsor. I, I prayed. I did, I did the steps. I, I read the literature. Uh, I, I was honest with people. And um, I used to lie to my wife about where I was so I can go to two meetings. So uh, uh, I, would, I would lie to my customers uh, and say, I got to go pick up material so I could run to go to a meeting, <laughs> then go back and finish working. So uh, uh, I, was, uh, I was a liar, but in a desperate way, a good lot for a good yeah. reason. And I was, uh, that was, and that's 15 years ago, right? And uh, 16 years ago, and I've been plugged into the recovery process and program ever since. So uh, I made every single mistake you could possibly make in recovery in the first 17 years, except for I didn't drink and I didn't drug. You know, I wanted to kill myself, but besides that, I didn't drink and I didn't drug. Uh, so, I guess, so I guess, Kevin, the, um, the intriguing piece of that story is about, you know, you had wealth, you had a nice house, and let like you say, you know, you're making $20,000 a month and, you know, more money than you can, can spend. Mm -hmm. um, but where was the, how did that change your personality? I know you said there was a, a big difference between the old Kevin and who you are now, as in, you know, you weren't very nice to people, you know, you were angry, you were very yeah. much driven by by money. Was the, pu was the money pushing those um, close to you out of your life? And did that become your God? Well, it was how I communicated with people. So the only relationships I had were, were over money. You were either my customer or you were a subcontractor or an employee of mine. Uh, when my when my family needed wanted something, I gave them money. Every relationship, every interaction I had with people centered around money. I had never, uh, I was angry. I was driven by ego. I would tell you driven by low self-esteem, false pride. Um, I would get out of my plumbing truck with Kevin Haggerty plumbing shirt on and a Kevin Haggerty plumbing truck and, and punch somebody at a red light cause they weren't driving right. Or they flipped me off or something. Not good for business, by the way, that's bad marketing. Uh, so the, uh, uh, I, I, and I had, wasn't drinking, I wasn't drugging. I was just still crazy. And, uh, I had a, I think I had a lifetime of stuff to work out, you know, and, uh, that second time God saved me. I'll be honest with you, brother. I wasn't worth saving the first time. So I was not a kind of bad kid. I was a monster, you know, and, and God saved me anyway. And then I took that gift and I wasted it and he saved me again. And I knew that, I knew that day, I didn't become a Christian that day, but I knew that day that, that God had done those two things for a reason. I, it's just up to me to figure out what that reason is. Yeah. And I know there was a story that you told me about the, the film, The Case for Christ, where, mm. you know, it is based on someone who is a journalist and a non-believer, you know, his wife starts to believe and he goes out to try and disprove, you know, sort of Jesus Christ and the resurrection and he can't do it basically. And he becomes, goes on to become a believer himself. And yeah. I know it was a story where you watched this film and you said it made you inquisitive and then you're ringing friends and you're asking all these <laughs> questions, they'd answer something. But then, yeah. you'd then, then you'd 
I'll ask another question. So maybe we'll talk about those defining moments because it is quite <laughs> powerful that a film based on someone who doesn't believe also plays into your story as well. Well, the uh, uh, I was I, I can tell you that I might have had a head start because I had respect for Christianity. In other words, I thought it was good for you people, just not I didn't need to do it right. Yeah. You guys are just a little weaker than I am. I thought that if I <laughs> if I quit drinking and drugging and toughen up a little bit, everything should be fine. I, so I didn't have to pray and do the steps and 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 any of the things, all the warm and fuzzy things that that I ended up disciplining myself to do. Uh, we fast forward three or four years and I, I lost everything. I got divorced. I built it all back up again. My health is back. Uh, I'm in another big house with another big pool. And this time I have a, a living girlfriend who's, I don't know, 15 years younger than me. I got a new baby. Uh, I'm, I'm living in sin. I'm not married. Uh, my business is doing well. I have everything again. I'm getting back everything that you could possibly want in life. Uh, so I didn't come to Christ in a, on a low, on a low, uh, point in my life. I wasn't in rehab. I wasn't in prison. I wasn't homeless. Uh, I was balling and uh, beginning to ball again. And, uh, uh, I, uh, in, a, in a rare opportunity to be home by myself, uh, my, my wife or girlfriend was gone and the kids were gone and, uh, I knew I was going to be home. So on the way home, I got a pizza, a 12 pack of Coke, and I sat down in the living room and I tended to watch science or history things, nerdy things when I was by myself. And, uh, I've always been kind of that guy. So uh, I decided I found a documentary on Netflix uh, called The Case for Christ. And it was uh, I could dismiss. I watched it while I ate and and yeah. halfway through it, I'm sitting up really paying attention now. And uh, uh, I uh, uh, I could dismiss everything. But the proof centered around the around the resurrection was compelling to me. Uh, the, the, at least compelling enough to say that it was more likely that it happened than that it didn't happen. And so, uh, I had, I had been a God guy and talking about God, but not church. And a lot of my, I had a lot of buddies, including, uh, my son's mother who's recently passed away. And, uh, uh, they were all Christians all want me to go to church and I would politely say no. And, uh, I, this move, this documentary moved me enough to think, to start researching for myself. And, uh, I started calling up all my Christian buddies who wanted me to read this book and go to this church and do this. And, uh, I said, Hey, what was the name of that book? I would get in the truck in the middle of the night and go get the book from them, drive across town to get the book. And, uh, wow. uh, I realized about a week into it, that something that was very different that I had been saved. And I went back and looked at the calendar and it was September 24th, 2010. Uh, I didn't realize it at that moment. I wasn't struck by lightning or anything like that, but uh, I heard a guy say that the, the heart cannot embrace what the mind rejects. And for someone like me, it had to make sense logically first to some degree before it could then really begin to work on my heart. So that's when things began to really change. That's when I began to become uh, what I think God has intended me to become all along. So that was a seminal moment in my, in my, in my journey for sure. Yeah, and I know, you know, Kevin, you spend a lot of time working with those in addiction. You know, you're, you're now a, a minister. And, and the question I'm going to ask you is, is often a common answer or an answer that most people say, well, well this is what the person's going to say. Um, but a, a question that I get challenged a lot is, um, you know, when I hear your story, what is it or why is it that Kevin can get through these addictions? And then, you know, you really had two two cracks in it, but then other people can't. And like I said, there's an answer that always springs to someone's mind, but, you know, it's often good to get the self-reflection from you as to why do you feel that you can beat addiction and perhaps other people um, aren't there yet? 
Well, I think the the misunderstanding people have of addicts is that they they have no self discipline. Uh, certainly, uh, I I was somebody that was had self discipline enough to sacrifice to build a business. Uh, the uh, so we, what we are is we have a spiritual problem. I believe back to the the script the. the uh, uh, literature for the 12 step programs tell us that we are given a daily reprieve based on our, on the maintenance of our spiritual condition that one day, uh, maybe next week or next year, but one day, the only thing standing between you and a drink is going to be your relationship with your higher power, whatever that means to you. Mine is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and, and Moses. Mine is the God of the Bible. But the, uh, uh, I think that the reason that, that, uh, that the 12 step programs are so successful and, and literally they've saved more lives than penicillin has mathematically yeah, sure. uh, it's exponential. So what's the difference? Well, it's somebody like me teaching me. In other words, if I walked into a 12 step program meeting and it was ink blots and lab coats, and uh, I probably would have, I probably would have grabbed a cup of coffee, stole somebody's wallet and left. Right. Uh, but it was, it wasn't that it was people like me, that who, who legitimately, I didn't realize it at the time, but they legitimately wanted to help me for no other reason, except that that's how they stay sober. So, uh, that doesn't make sense to, it didn't make sense to me at the time, but, uh, that is the motivation uh, of the 12 step program is that, uh, and why it's so successful, because if you don't give it away, you don't get to keep it, you know? Yeah. You know, I started off, um, maybe being a bit too harsh on some of these, um, sort of velvet passes. I don't know, but, but, it, but it is true that, you know, your experience, um, in life and, and now being a pastor really helps you minister and understand where, where people are coming from. So I guess if I take my perhaps harshness at the beginning of this podcast, talking about those, those pastors that have boats and expensive cars and live in five yeah. bedroom houses, you know, when, um, maybe let's talk about the perception of you during your journey. You know, when you walk into somewhere and you, they know you as a pastor and then they hear your story in their journey, is there any change in how people perceive you? The fact that you're a former addict, um, the fact that, you know, you've, um, you know, battled mental illness and you've had some of these other things. Well, I think that people as people, uh, as a pastor, I think that I'm approachable, uh, because most people still know me as Kevin, the plumber. Yeah, uh, not Rev Kev. They call me now. Uh, so that's the, a good uh, title as well. Like Kevin <laughs> the plumber, that goes well. Yeah. So they uh, they know now that I believe it. They respect that I believe it, and they have questions about it. So I turn in tough circles still, right? I live in a rough neighborhood. My friends are generally rough people. Uh, the places I go are places that a lot of pastors wouldn't go. So uh, so I think there is a there is an approachability. If I had a leisure suit and a velvet Bible and a and a Cadillac and and rings and everything like that. I, I don't think that people would, my people, the people that I minister to, I don't think they would give me the time of day but because, be I, because I look like them and I ride a Harley and I got tattoos and I sometimes curse and I, uh, I, I walk and talk like somebody that's been through a lot that I think it becomes, it, it becomes, makes you very approachable to people that are, are very defensive and very protect, self-protective in their world, you know? Yeah, and quite often, and it's the same uh, with addiction, and it's the same with those that are, you know, that have a loss or have some type of emptiness. They don't want to necessarily portray that outwardly to someone. So there is that sort of um, saving a face and faith and um, face and stuff as well. So, so I guess the relatability is most a key point. Yeah. Uh, and what about then um, in your role as as a pastor? Um, you know, having some addictive um, um, sort of 
characteristics, if you like, <laughs> where when you then have to minister those that are battling the same things as you, it could be someone who's on drugs or alcoholism. I mean, how does that challenge your own spirituality and your own um, recovery? Well, you have to be careful. Uh, we, we deal a lot with my denomination, uh, Free Methodist. One of the classes that you have to take is, is, uh, uh, is centered around spiritual uh, becoming spiritually bankrupt yourself. So you, you've, uh, there is something called compassion fatigue that is very, re- that very real in ministry uh, and particularly in, in kind of street level ministry. So it may not be very real in ministry uh, if you never actually come up against somebody that has real problems. But uh, you, I, I have in seasons of my life uh, walked out of my, got out of my car and thought to myself, you know, people start walking towards me when they see me. And I, I've literally thought to myself, these emotional black holes are going to, are going to suck the life out of me right now. Yeah. You know, I'm not ready for this. So you, the bottom line is this, you can't fill a cup from an empty vessel. You don't have it. You, you're not in position to give it away. And I too, and pastors, even not in recovery uh, are most effective when they are, when someone is pouring into their lives, when someone's filling them. So you cannot fill a cup with an empty vessel and, uh, and so it's important that you both that you both pour out into people and that somebody's pouring into your life in the form of a mentor or a sponsor uh, or some kind of spiritual leader in your life. Uh, that's made all the difference. So uh, there is a sustainability that goes along with uh, goes along with um, serving in, on the level that we serve. Now, I can tell you that there are people that uh, are repulsed by me in, in terms of a pastor. Uh, because of my background, and and if they get to know my history, uh, they would uh, they would not pick me for their pastor or their spiritual advisor. Uh, but that's fine, you know. It, it's not the flock that God has me shepherding right now, anyway. But some people think their pastor should never should have been perfect from birth, you know. Uh, the only perfect guy in the world they nailed to a cross. So uh, I don't, I don't yeah. think you want to be perfect. <laughs> yeah, and that is a chat, and that's why I asked you about Christian because it must be, you know, there is always this sort of uh, maybe like a bias as to what this pastor, um, um, he or she should be, and yeah. then when they meet someone very different. But again, you know, they, Jesus came for the broken, not for the saints. You know, so I mean, yeah. through your um, life transformation, you're helping so many other other people. And I guess we haven't really touched on too much, Kevin, about how you decided to take that walk into ministry and become a pastor. I mean, how, how did that come about? Well, the, uh, I had, I think, I think like a lot of people, when I first got saved, I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to wake up one morning and be the Pope. You know, I wanted to be a pastor. And then I, uh, I wasn't too thrilled with the moral precepts that went along with even being a Christian, Never mind being a pastor. So, uh, uh, there was an early period in my, in my, uh, early in my walk where, I tried to set it aside, put it on a shelf and, and, and I wanted my cake and, and eat it too. So I'll yeah. be honest with you. I was living an adulterous lifestyle and then though not a pastor, I was still a recovery leader telling people not to do the, not to live an adulterous lifestyle while I, you know, 30 was minutes ago it. was, yeah. So, uh, and I wasn't, I wasn't caught. It wasn't some kind of scandal that went with, along with it. Uh, there was just a, there was a, another seminal moment in my, in my journey where I said, this isn't good enough. Uh, and, uh, either I'm in or I'm out, either God's everything or he's nothing. And, uh, so I, uh, I had become in hindsight now, I think I had become addicted even to sex in my recovery. 
and uh, and and the need for a woman to to raise being single with kids, raising a kid by myself. I thought I needed a woman to to build a home. I realized a couple of years into it, uh, someone pointed out to me. I said, I you know I just want to make a home for these kids, and they said, you're already doing that. You've been doing that for two years. And it, it dawned on me that they were right, you know, and I had a stereotypical idea of what a, uh, you got to have a fenced yard, a dog, a pool, all the things I've had in my life and a, a woman. And, uh, and, and that's not what maybe what God has for me and my family, you know, so I, I became uh, uh, I started uh, practicing abstinence. I became celibate. Four or five years ago now, yeah, almost five years ago with one fall, I should mention, but. Uh, ultimately, yeah. Well, I mean, you've had an incredible um, journey for sure. And I say, you know, one of those big things that you start learning about yourself, I know you're now your son is a teenager. I mean, one of those, one of those fatherly things, you know, you're, you're a leader now within the church. You know, you're, you're a father and a mentor. What are the things you've learned in your life that you try and pass down onto your, onto your son and other, other young kids? Well, my son's 11 and I still have a daughter that's 14. Uh, and then I have two grown kids and some grandkids. And But I, I think uh, what I try to teach, what I've always, with my first kids, I should say I was very strict. In, in a lot of ways, I didn't want to make a mistake. And I was still kind of in psycho mode. So I was very a very heavy-handed, strict father. Uh, and, it, uh, and they turned out well. They've had their seasons of rebellion, but they've turned out well. With the, with the younger kids, I can tell you that they seem much cuter to me. You know, I'm more in my element, uh, part grandfather, part, since I had my son early, later in life, I'm part grandfather and part uh, parent, right? So uh, uh, I become kinder and gentler. But I think if I, if I, what I drive into my children, I think if they, if you were to ask them, they would say to, to think for yourself, don't learn what to think, learn how to think. And uh, uh, I think one of the things they're missing from society right now, and you can turn on the news for five minutes and see it, is personal responsibility is gone, right? Everything is somebody else's fault. Uh, and, and, and a lot of things are somebody else's fault. But when I sit down with somebody to mentor them, uh, what I generally hear the first hour is everybody else's problems. I, I hear about the cops. I hear about the wife. I hear about the judge. I hear about the parole officer. I hear about the kids. I hear about their boss. I hear about their coworkers. But I'm not in the business. I said, that's fine, but I'm not here to help them. I'm here to help you. What's your part in all of this? Personal responsibility. So in the 12 steps, we, I look at it this way. Steps one, two, and three are I can't, God can, I'm going to let them. Steps four through nine are become a better person, to, to adapt the principles of recovery, to be honest and, and, and humble and these types of things. And so we clean our side of the street in steps four through nine and then 10, 11 and 12, we keep it that way. We, we do a daily reflection. We pray every day and we, we serve other people. And, uh, and it's a really a pretty simple way to, to live your life. And I would say the only reason that it, people don't succeed is because they, uh, they, they resist it because they, they complicate what is really pretty easy. I, or at yeah. least I did for sure. Yeah, I mean, and that's great, um, fascinating insight. And I know, you know, one of the ways you you give back is through the God 
logic project and like i said you know i mean i've listened to hours of your conversations on now i mean you really have i'm not going to say that you don't have a, a face for tv because you do you're <laughs> quite a good looking guy Kevin, but you have a great um, radio voice as well i think this is another calling of yours um but i like listening to your show you got some great guests on there um you know there's a lot of different issues and like you say there's nothing really which is off the table from you know from race where we are now in american society across the world to you know to addiction to politics so maybe tell us a bit about the god logic project how that got started you know what's the what's the sort of theme there you know what what are you trying to achieve with that project well it started out as an apologetics ministry and apologetics is simply to be able to give a defense of your faith so it's the it's the science and the history behind uh, the gospels basically uh proof of the resurrection the historicity of the bible god and science these types of things and i started doing weekly and then monthly uh seminars on on different topics and and including quantum physics uh, so there's nothing I won't talk about. And so I'm uh, talking about quantum physics. Yeah, there you go. How crazy is that? Yeah. I dropped out of high school. I actually went back and, and, and went back to college after I quit drinking, which is pretty cool. I uh, got a degree. So the uh, I stayed a plumber because that's where the money was. But uh, so the God logic project started out just just like it sounds. Is it logical to believe in God? And why is it? Can you give a reasonable defense for the hope that's inside you? First Peter 315. And uh it became, I got, I got, I became disabled four years ago and had plenty of time to reflect and study. And, uh, so I, uh, I wasn't getting around too well. I've had some surgeries and I'm, I'm doing better now, but the, uh, uh, I had time to really consider and God put on my heart that, uh, that I should, uh, well, somebody at one of my seminars said more people should hear the way you talk, should hear the things you say. And then the question, and that stuck with me. So for weeks, I'm thinking to myself, how do I get more people to Holiday, Florida, this neighborhood, which is not a great neighborhood, uh, at 8 o'clock at night on a Thursday night? How do you do that, right? You're not going to get more than 20 or 30 people to do that. And uh, so I thought to myself, this has to be done on the Internet, right? This has to be done uh, on YouTube or something. So I, uh, But my thought was to start this with somebody else doing it. You mentioned... You lied to me and said I had a wonderful, beautiful, handsome face, and you're not supposed to lie to a pastor. But uh, perhaps I have a voice and a face made for well, radio. I was going by the picture on your website, so that, that could yeah. be a bit old. I don't know. Yeah. You know a, well, you, you're cut out for this clearly, well, but me, it's the voice, really. So my thought was to do set this up for someone else, but it's it's me that thinks this way. It's me that talks this way, and maybe God talks through me this way to certain people. So, uh, uh I mean, I got the idea. I had time to study, and I, you and I have talked off the air about audio and video techniques yeah. and things like that. And I, uh, I became disabled. I was adjudicated disabled a couple of years ago, and used my back pay to build a podcast studio, which is pretty cool. And yeah, that's uh, a good place. and I figured out how to do it. And I, I don't know that I do it as well. I think uh, the the strength of the God Logic Project is in the people that come in to talk to me, because they uh, these are. These are real people. These aren't celebrities sitting here telling you their story. These are people that, uh, and I've had guys in here that were serving two life sentences. I've had people in here that were uh, tried to commit suicide in front of, of their parents for, for effect. Uh, I've had strippers and prostitutes. And uh, I have, uh, you talk about the race issues today. I've had people from both sides of that uh, come in here and get upset with me, uh, talking about it. But the point, the important part is we're talking about it. And that's kind of what the God logic projects become living in this world. And what I believe is a post-Christian America, but maintaining a scriptural or biblical, uh, attitude for it. Uh, 
So that's kind of what the God Logic Project has become since then. So get out, get over to youtube.com forward slash God Logic Project and please subscribe. <laughs> oh, I was going to give you a plug, but you got it in there. It's a true yeah. professional. But and one of the things I was going to say about that, you know, with social media and stuff, I mean, I mean, I'm bad that when I'm with my young sons, I'm often, you know, on my phone and, and it's really hard. I mean, there's an addiction right there about being on, on the phones and stuff, yeah. um, Kevin, yeah. it is. Um, but, but what social media really does, it, it connects people. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know if me and you are class as friends or acquaintances, but we've spoken a few times off air. You've given me some advice. You know, hopefully I might be able to reciprocate it. Um, you know, and, and there's a friendship form of these things you'd never have before. You know, you're, you're getting the stories out there for the untold, really. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's a new name for your next podcast, Kevin, is, is the untold if no one hasn't stolen it already. Well, we might as well announce right now on the Who I Became podcast or vlogcast uh, that I am I'm planning on having you on as a guest. So oh, I, would, uh, I would love to be on there, yeah. So if we're friends now, you'll be tired of me by the time we've, we've been on in, on the God Logic Project. Well, it, it, sometimes it's nice <laughs> to answer the questions rather than do what we're asking as well. Yeah, so that's good news. This, this, <laughs> this is much easier than what, you do, what you're well, doing. I mean, it is. That, that, is, that is true. <laughs> hey, but, but one of the things, you know, when you look back at your life, I mean, there's been a lot of, um, there's been a lot of success in your businesses that you've where you've been very successful um, to most probably your lowest pay position um, <laughs> as a pastor, but your like most none. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, but your most rewarding. Um, Certainly, you know what, what's the one thing that you might look back and say, you know, I really wish I'd done that um, thing differently, or wish I'd sort of um, changed then. What, what, what do you look back on in your life and, and reflect on the most? Well, I don't know for sure, but I would suspect that if I was spiritually fit, like I hope I am now. Uh, 20 years ago that I would not have had to go through the things that I've gone through. In other words, I think God, I was, when I, when I was making that serious money, uh, I, I was, uh, I was spending it faster than I could uh, faster than most people. Right. So we would go to a restaurant and eat with 10 people. And when dinner was over, I'd stand up and I take out a wad of money this big, make sure everybody in the restaurant and everybody saw at the it. table saw who had the money. Uh, and, uh, so I, it was all ego driven, right? There was no humility at all. And, uh, I think, I think because I was not God centered or Christ centered, I think God took those things away from me to teach me a lesson. There was, after I got the last time I got hurt, I was paralyzed. I mean, I, uh, my son and I, uh, the church put a roof over our heads and, and brought me food, uh, occasionally, but we were, I thought I was broke until I actually went broke. So being a bad uh, steward of money doesn't mean you're broke. Not having money is when you're broke, right? Yeah. So uh, I got a real taste of what it was like to wonder how you're going to eat today, and or to ask have to ask people to buy you food. So uh, it's something I needed to learn, and uh, it, it's not something I'm I'm even still comfortable with probably now. But uh, uh, people people, uh, I think if I think had I been spiritually fit back then I would not have taken the beating that I, that I had to take and learn the hard lessons that I've had to learn, except that these things weren't happening to me. I see now they were happening for me. So God was shaping me and molding me in, in, into uh, what I hope he needs me to be today, at least today. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. And it was interesting that, you know, at your lowest point when you had so little, you're saying you actually had so much, you know, yeah, you know you've got I, your podcast and other stuff and it's This is oh, the easiest version of Kevin I've ever had to be. It's it's a yeah. piece of cake being Kevin now. 
And I can relate to you as well. Like I said, a lot of it, you really get into these different emotions with people. But, you know, I'm the same, but I've always sort of um, wanted to have the desire to have more when actually, you know, I really need less. It's, it's, it's focusing more yeah. on family, friends and those things that, that matter. But it's it's hard. We're not necessarily wired, wired that way. So, so, Kevin, give yourself one last plug then. So how can people come and listen to the God Logic Project and learn about well, you more? Well, you can go to godlogicproject.com, which is on the shirt and on the wall. Uh, there you can, you can link to all of our social media. Follow us, share our content on social media. Uh, the big platform for us is youtube.com forward slash godlogicproject. You could also link there from the godlogicproject.com. And you can, by the way, if there's any, anything I could do to help people, uh, either spiritually or, or in their addictive recovery, it be a chemical or emotional recovery, uh, if you just have questions about recovery or you just need prayer, message me at godlogicproject.com. If I can help you, I have access to resources in the state of Florida particularly, but I I've, get I've calls from all over the country, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll guide you in the right direction if I can. I'll never let you down uh, intentionally anyway. Uh, so if, you, if there's anything I can do to help anybody out there, godlogicproject.com, you can message me directly. I'll be the guy. I'm, I'm the, I'm the uh, host and the engineer and the producer and the director and the chief Sound bottle guy. watcher so i'm everybody so uh you're, you're you're bound to hear from me there i don't have any staff uh, but if i could help anybody in any way uh, that's kind of why we do this and kevin i'll put your links in the um uh, in the podcast awesome. notes so people can can find that in there so um kevin haggerty the pastor of next level church in tampa bay florida and founder of god logic project thank you for joining me today on who i became hey thank you for having me buddy i'm looking forward to having you on yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Take care. All right. God bless. Thank you for joining us for the Who I Became podcast. If you are enjoying the discussions between Simon and his guests, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review, as well as share with your friends on social media. Once again, thank you for joining the Who I Became podcast.